These two chapters in Ezekiel speak of the great opposition that will always be against God's people. But they also speak of a time when that opposition will cease because God will cause it to cease and his people will never be troubled again. Now it's important that we understand that the language in these closing chapters of Ezekiel is a language which is known as being apocalyptic. What does that mean? It means that it uses words to describe vivid pictures of things that have the appearance of being literal things. But in fact, the things that we read about are not literal people, events, places, times, but are symbolic of spiritual realities. How do we know that the language here is of this sort? Well, first of all, there's the employment of the number seven. The number seven has special significance in the Bible because it symbolizes completeness and wholeness. In the opening of the book of Revelation, there's a picture there of seven stars, seven churches, seven golden lampstands. And then we're actually told what those pictures symbolize. They're not literal stars. They're not literal lampstands. They signify the church of Christ. And there are seven because they're meant to represent the whole church of Christ in its completeness. And the seven stars are the ministers to those churches, all in the hand of Christ. The number seven is a symbol of completeness and wholeness in the Bible. And across these two chapters, because although it's two chapters in our printed English versions, it's one section. Across these two chapters, God speaks seven times. You'll find the phrase, thus says the Lord God, seven times. I'll leave you to count them when you get home and see that I'm correct. And then there's the employment of the number seven in chapter 39. Seven years are mentioned. Seven months are mentioned. It's not a literal seven years. It's not a literal seven months. What they signify, we'll see as we get there. And then we discover that there's a parallel passage in the book of Revelation in chapters 19 and 20, where Gog and Magog, great names, aren't they? Love saying them, Gog and Magog. They're mentioned again. And the book of Revelation, of course, is a much disputed book in some quarters, but that too is apocalyptic language. Not to be taken literally, but to be understood as symbolising spiritual truths which relate to Christ and his church and the many trials and afflictions that she'll always know throughout the entire gospel age culminating in increasing opposition until Christ returns. So these issues make clear 
that these closing chapters of Ezekiel are to be understood as being apocalyptic in nature and they need to be interpreted accordingly. Now the issue of Gog and Magog actually served to be a good example of how trying to interpret these kinds of passages literally can end up in all kinds of problems. There are plenty of people around today who are absolutely convinced that soon Christ will return. Very soon he'll return. And that much of the language of Revelation is actually about our own time in world history, right now. And that that's all it's ever been about, today. And so, presumably, largely irrelevant to believers for the last 2,000 years. I can't go along with that personally. I think it's always been relevant to all of God's people and always will be. And such people are constantly placing current world affairs alongside the book of Revelation in an attempt to marry the two together and to show that this that you see on your news headlines is that in the Bible. This event, this person, this country is that very verse in Revelation and it's been waiting these 2,000 years for that one event, that one person, that one place and it has no other application at all, apparently. I can't go along with that, especially when they've been proved wrong so many times. To take this view of these portions of scripture is to completely miss the main point. And it often leads to people becoming obsessed with trying to read the signs of the times and ultimately trying to predict the return of Christ. Even though Christ himself said, I will return at a time you do not expect. And the scriptures tell us Christ will come like a thief in the night. And many people, for example, want to insist that Gog, from the north, must be Russia in the modern age. Certainly these three tribes that are mentioned in, at the beginning of chapter 38, um, we think we can probably trace those tribes in ancient antiquity. And they were up in the north. Uh, the name Magog is another story, quite where that comes from. Oof. No one knows. But many, for example, say that this Gog from the north, well, this must be Russia today. Can't be anything else. The Bible is warning us about this great threat of Russia to the rest of Europe and Asia. And there's definitely going to be this great conflict between them and us, they say. Because we have to take it all literally and see how it, what it all means. However, I once heard a preacher point out that if they believe in taking these passages literally then when they read about Gog and Magog in Revelation, they must also take into account these passages in Ezekiel, which speak about Gog and Magog. And if they're convinced that the way to understand these passages is to interpret them literally, 
then they must interpret Ezekiel literally as well. And so if you do that, you have to accept that modern-day Russia is going to attack Israel on horseback. Chapter 38, verse 15. Armed with bows and arrows and javelins and spears. Chapter 39, verse 9. Maybe the Cossacks aren't done yet. Or perhaps these photos of President Putin riding a horse that were taken in and put in circulation a few years ago. Maybe we need to take these things a bit more seriously. He's getting his practice in. Look out, Israel, here I come. You can get rid of him. I'm being a bit flippant. I recognise that. But there's a serious point behind it. You see... If you start trying to interpret apocalyptic language literally, that's the kind of mess you get yourself into. And you end up having to say and believe all kinds of ridiculous things if you take it all literally like that. And some people are obsessed with this kind of stuff and it becomes a huge distraction and a diversion from the things that are really important. So how do we need to view these scriptures and the others like them? Well, these scriptures speak of spiritual realities facing Christ's church. And so they are relevant to every age and every generation till Christ returns. And we see these things again, as I say, in the book of Revelation. Not literal stars. Not literal lampstands, images, visual aids, if you will, depicting spiritual truth for all ages. That's the point. And so what of Ezekiel 38 and 39? Well, let's begin with the opening 16 verses that we read from chapter 38, 38 1 to 16. Oppression. Oppression. Here we find a representation of an alliance of nations rising up against God's people. After many days, and in the latter years, verse 8, and in the latter days, verse 16. The latter years, the latter days, or the last days. That's the phrase that we find in the New Testament. It's the gospel age. It's the time between Christ's two great visitations to this world. His first arrival in his incarnation and his second return in his exalted return when he comes again. And there's this great wickedness being plotted against God's people. Verse 10. Well, that's not restricted to our day, is it? Have you read your history books? The Lord's people have always been under oppression. And God's people are presented as those who seem to be extremely vulnerable to the attack. This great army comes, verse 9, ascending like a huge storm, covering the whole land like a cloud. And verse 11, unwalled villages, peaceful people. Dwelling without walls. They haven't got bars on their windows. They don't have gates protecting their houses. They're vulnerable. Easy prey. 
Easy pickings. And God's people are pictured as being plundered at the hands of these many nations. And when you're confronted with pictures like this, it might seem that the world completely has the upper hand over God's people. And it's constant. Even though in earlier chapters you may remember there's been the promise that God is the great shepherd of his sheep. But God says to Ezekiel, nevertheless, you're going to know great opposition and affliction and trouble and persecution. And even though earlier in the book there's this promise that there will be the arrival of the God-man who will be the good shepherd over his sheep. That doesn't mean that life for the church is going to become a comfortable ride all the way to heaven. There's going to be these times repeatedly of great oppression and affliction against God's people. And it's going to be relentless. This is taught all through the Bible. The New Testament is saturated with warnings and exhortations and encouragements regarding the suffering and the persecution that Christ's people can expect to endure for no other reason sometimes than they belong to Christ. Like is happening to the churches in China right now. Last Wednesday we saw Paul reminding Timothy of the things he's endured which Timothy has witnessed. But Paul can say, and yet the Lord has delivered me from them all. Because all is not lost. There were plenty of times in Paul's life when the neutral observer may have concluded, that's it for Paul now. But it, it wasn't. And on he went. But verse 14 of Ezekiel 38, a time of great contrast lies in the future. Look at verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Oh, there's a time coming when you will know, you will see. You'll see who these people are who you oppressed. You'll see their God. You will know. And isn't this the contrast that the Apostle Paul is continually bringing to the remembrance of New Testament believers? Our present suffering is but for a moment and is a light affliction compared to the glory that these things are working for us. That's what's being said here. All is in God's hands. All things are fulfilling his purposes. And the day is coming when God will bring this oppression to its final close. And Israel, God's Israel, God's true Israel will dwell in safety for all eternity. So we have this great encouragement coming through the scriptures. Keep looking forward. Keep looking up. That's what will keep you as you seek to live Godly lives in this most ungodly world. 
And the oppression's probably only going to get worse. My heart goes out to our younger ones in the church. What's it going to be like in another 10 years? Another 20 years? Another 30 years? What kind of oppressions and afflictions <coughs> may come upon our children and our grandchildren? Where is the hope in all of this? The hope is this, that God is still God. That these fires that the Lord sometimes asks us to walk through are refining fires to purify our faith. And that ultimately, God and his people will be vindicated. And all those who have oppressed us, all those who have afflicted, they will look and they will know. And all of us will be gathered together and we will dwell in safety for all eternity. That's our hope. That's your children's hope if they trust in Christ. That's your grandchildren's hope if they trust in Christ. What glory awaits. And then from verse 17 of chapter 38 all the way through to verse 24 of chapter 39, God speaks his judgment against those who would oppress God's people. And chapter 39 opens with something that perhaps many people don't like to consider in God. Uh, well, no, it's actually chapter 38 at verse 17, I beg your pardon. And then into verse 18, the fury on God's face. The fury of God's face against those who are against him. The fury on God's face against those who oppress and afflict his people. Now, of course, God doesn't have a literal face. <laughs> He's spirit. But these are word pictures to help us understand. For our benefit, God employs language that we can understand in order to convey his truth to us. Note verse 17. God knows all. God actually raised up this enemy in judgment over the sins of his people. But God will move against those who oppress his people. Again and again we find in the Bible that it's often when evil seems to be at its worst, when evil seems to be at its height that God moves. He waits and he waits and he waits. When the enemy seems too powerful now for him to be able to defeat them. When apparently it's been left too late. When apparently all now is hopeless. And then God strikes. And then God displays his mighty power. And then God displays his glory. And then all the world can see. Like they would never have seen. That he is God. And he receives glory. That is so much greater as he shows them that actually 
All he has to do is, and they are gone. But note the language that's used. How does a man, two and a half thousand years ago, find language to depict a God acting with great fury and power against such people? Well, he used words as, he uses words like earthquakes, like you've never seen before. He talks about the sword. He talks about pestilence. He talks about bloodshed. He talks about railing hailstones. He talks about brimstone coming upon people. For someone like Ezekiel, what, what are the worst calamities that I can think of in, in my day, two and a half thousand years ago? What are the worst kind of things that can come across people? That's the language he uses. What's the most violent picture of destruction available to Ezekiel in his day? That's the language he employs. And it's all employed to depict God's wrath and judgment against those who are against him and his people. Not to insist that these literal things will be used by God, but to depict how total and complete and unstoppable his judgment will be. His judgment will accomplish that which he sets out to accomplish. And no one will be able to escape it. And he can use any manner of things in bringing that judgment against the Lord's people. Because he is God, sovereign over all things. And as the picture continues into chapter 39, further descriptions follow. So for example, we find the bodies of the dead being devoured by animals in verse 4. And being consumed by fire in verse 6. This is utter destruction and devastation. This is total destruction of those who would oppose God. All will know that God is God and his holy name will be feared and honoured by all. The weapons of the enemy will be burned and used for firewood and it will provide fuel for seven years. So the number seven there depicting the completeness of that destruction against the Lord's enemy. Complete and total. Seven years. And it will take the people of Israel seven months to bury all the dead bodies. Seven months to bury the dead. Why seven? It's a number to depict how complete God's judgment and destruction of wickedness will be. No one will escape him. The absolute defeat and destruction. And God will be vindicated and God will be glorified. Teams of people in Israel are pictured as being assigned the job of collecting every last corpse across the land and burying them. From verse 17, God addresses the animals and instructs them to devour the enemy of Israel. And it's described there as being like a great sacrificial meal. And they will gorge themselves on the flesh and the blood until they, they can take no more. It's a pretty gory picture, isn't it? But this is the vivid language that Ezekiel is using to describe how complete 
God's judgment will be against all that has oppressed his people. And then from verse 25 of chapter 39, we have this assurance of everlasting rest as the Lord restores his people to himself. Now, of course, for Israel, the particular circumstances that they found themselves in have been a chastening from God because of their sin. God has actually used these nations to judge them because of their sin. But then God is going to bring this destruction on those very nations. But he hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't ceased to love them. And the New Testament scriptures assure us that many of the trials and afflictions that the Lord calls us to walk through are for our good. They will refine us. They will purify our faith. They will establish our trust in the Lord completely as we go through them. We'll be much the better Christian for them than if we never had them or never experienced them. They will help to take us on to Christian maturity and godliness. And the conclusion sees the people in a place of great blessing and their tribulations are ended and will be ended for good. All the enemies of God, all the enemies of his church will know and see God's victory and they will know that this God truly is the God of all. They'll see the church vindicated. They'll see the church victorious in Christ. I will be hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, verse 27. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God and I've brought them out of their land and left none of them in captivity. I've rescued each one and brought each one back. Because all is known to God and God is over all. And that's our great hope in the faith if you're in Christ. All is known to God and God is over all. And God will ensure on that last day that he is vindicated and that his name is exalted. Now in Ezekiel's day, there must have been many in Israel who must have thought that they were about to witness the final death throes of the nation Israel. It's all up for us. All is lost. All is hopeless. This judgment that the Lord has brought against us because of our sins is more than we can bear. Evil has won the day. God's purposes have been thwarted. And wickedness will shortly triumph completely. Surely there were many in Israel whose hearts felt like that. Maybe there'll be days when you go through situations and that's how your heart wants to feel. But it won't be the case. It won't be the case. Through many generations since then, perhaps the Lord's people have from time to time been tempted to think the same kinds of thoughts Although that in itself proves that those earlier generations were wrong. 
because it wasn't the end of the Lord's people, because here we still are two and a half thousand years later. Despite the best attempts of the enemy. Because God knows all. And God is over all. And a glorious future awaits the Lord's people. Some of the battles the Lord calls us to fight for him will be severe. Sometimes from a worldly perspective the casualties will be great. But the outcome of our spiritual warfare has never been in doubt. And it never will be. God will reign victorious. His enemies under his judgment will receive the condemnation that their deeds deserve. And they will see him justified. And he will, they will see the Lord's people vindicated in Christ. And this passage fits in really well with our study last week in 2 Timothy. All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But God will deliver you through them all. Because he is God. So continue in the things which you have learned. And being assured of through the scriptures was Paul's message to Timothy. Well here's a portion of the scriptures to assure you. That all is not lost. The battle is not lost. The victory will be God's. The victory is God's. And sure, the going might get tough at times. And it may get tougher. And it may get tougher still. But God knows all. And God is over all. Continue in the things that you've learned and been assured of through the scriptures. Because these things will make you complete. And equip you thoroughly. For every good work. And assured by what the, teach, what the scriptures teach you. Just like the Apostle Paul was. You'll be able to stand in the conflict and face the foe. You'll be able to stand when the opposition comes. And you'll be secure in Christ. Because you know he will hold you fast. Because you know in the book of Revelation. There he is pictured on that mighty horse. Conquering over all. Defeating the evil one. And assured from what you read through the scriptures, you will know that the day is coming and the time is coming when all of the Lord's people will dwell in safety for all eternity. And that will be all the exhortation and all the encouragement and all the motivation that you need. That the afflictions in this life are but for a moment. They are but a light affliction. Compared to that weight of glory. Which they are completing in us. And preparing us for.